For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Good afternoon, you sons of bitches. Um, we've got, I've actually talked about this dude on the show a couple of times uh, on, here and on Drinking Bros. Um, big fan because of the work he does. Something that we've talked about quite a bit is, um, you know, the ability of parents to know what the fuck is going on in their children's day-to-day lives. It seems like a no-brainer, uh, but... The left played its hand hard the other way, lost in Virginia, and uh, we're going to see more of that coming soon. Uh, welcome to the show, Corey DeAngelis. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Dr. Corey DeAngelis. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm not a real doctor, though. I'm more like a Jill Biden doctor. Yeah, but that's better <laughs> than a medical doctor. I don't trust medical doctors anymore. They've been lying to us too much. Uh, so I'll take it. <laughs> cool, uh, thanks. And then uh, my co-host on this show, he's out today, but... Uh, He's uh he has an honorary doctorate, which is not real, by the way. Uh, so you're you're a, definitely more of a doctor than he is. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. PhD in education policy, um, where I mostly studied the effects of school choice programs, which we should talk a little bit about. Yeah. So uh, just to introduce the audience to who the fuck you are, uh, you're the national director of research at the American Federation of Children. Uh, Executive Director for Educational Freedom Institute and an adjunct scholar at Cato Institute as well as a senior fellow at the Reason Foundation. But your primary work over the last couple of years has been in school choice. Now, explain to our listeners what that means, school choice, because I'm not sure everybody knows. Yeah, I've actually started to talk about it in terms of funding students as opposed to systems, Mm. allowing your children's education dollars to follow them to wherever they get an education. It could be the public school or the government run school. But if not, for whatever reason, that money would follow the child to a charter school or a private school or even some type of home based learning option, including micro schools or pandemic pods. So basic concept of having the money follow the child, just like we do with uh, Pell Grants for higher education. Just think about it with Pell Grants. The, the funding goes to the student, and then you could take the money to the community college if you want, but you could also take the money to a private university, religious or non-religious university. We do the same thing with pre-K programs, including some in Texas and the Federal Head Start program, for example. The money doesn't go straight to one residentially assigned government-run provider of pre-K. Instead, the money goes to the family, and then they can choose public or private, religious or non-religious pre-K providers. Right. I can go on and on and on. We do this with food stamps. We do this with Section 8 housing vouchers. The money follows the decision of the person. And so when I'm arguing for school choice, I'm just arguing for that same logic to apply to K-12 education. Right. And so that is the the general idea behind school choice, which is to say the money follows the child instead of uh, the government in, in the form of public education having a monopoly on education. You know what I mean? And we, we know that in pretty much any industry, monopolies are not good. I mean, it stifles creativity, but it also 
it, it, one of the one of the primary things it does is remove the impetus for the provider to provide the best possible product. So, give me a, give me your spiel, your your elevator pitch on what problem this is solving exactly. You know, elucidate the 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 complete mm-hmm. failure of American public education, I guess, in my opinion. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, well, yeah. I mean, the money goes directly to a government-run institution, regardless of how well they do, regardless of the family's choice in the matter and their satisfaction levels. And from what we've seen over the past couple of years in some places, regardless of whether they even open their doors for business. When the government school teachers unions monopolies fought to keep the schools closed, families were scrambling while the private schools were open and the government buildings kept their money. I mean, I think that really clicked in a lot of people's heads that it didn't make any sense for the buildings to get the money when the families were the ones uh, trying to find alternatives. I mean, just think about it. If your grocery store, let's say your neighborhood HEB, since you're in Texas, Mm -hmm. closed down uh, for whatever reason, it would be inconvenient because you like HEB or because that's where you want to shop. But at least they weren't able to keep your grocery funding each week regardless of whether they even provided you with the services. You could go to Walmart or Trader Joe's or some other provider, uh, Safeway, whatever grocery provider uh, uh, you, you would like to, to take your money to. But with the schools, they, ke- they closed down, kept your money. Families had to pay twice. And as you hinted at earlier, that leads to a large degree of monopoly power. They don't have to do a good job. I mean, just imagine if Imagine if you didn't like your restaurant and in order to start shopping somewhere else, you had to get up and move houses because you're residentially assigned to government run schools. Uh, And and who's the most likely to be able to do so? It's the most advantaged in society who have the resources to afford to live into the in the best neighborhoods that are that happen to be assigned to the best, quote unquote, public schools. It's the most advantaged that are more likely at least to be able to afford to pay for private school and uh, tuition and fees out of pocket. So funding the student directly with the money that we're already spending uh, allows for more equity at the same time by allowing more families to access educational options, which provides stronger incentives for the public schools to do a better job. It provides bottom-up accountability. Yeah, that's one of the things that you talk about on a regular basis, particularly when you're in debates uh, at town halls or even on Twitter, wherever it happens to be. Um, one of the things you, you asked this rhetorical question quite a bit, uh, that I've yet to see anyone answer. And the question is why would parents being able to choose a different school negatively impact public schools? And I think yep. the, the point there is that parents would only leave public schools if they fucking sucked and didn't provide the service that they said they were providing. Right. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you have a good product and somebody else is trying to develop another product next to you. Uh, and you are trying to keep that product from getting developed instead of touting, you know, the, the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, the goodness of your product, then, you know, you've got a bullshit product, right? I mean, it's, that that seems to me to be what it is. That's their only argument. I mean, they have other arguments too, that they'll pull out when, um, when they're trying to convince other people, but, but anytime a school choice proposal is announced, you'll see the unions with their hair on fire screaming that this will defund the public schools. And you're right. My quick response to that is, well, why would that happen? Why would giving families a choice defund the government run schools? And they'll usually block me uh, (laughs) because there's only two, there's only two responses that you can have to that one. Well, because the families will choose the private schools or some other type of public school. Well, duh, that, so that's the, the whole argument for school choice. You're arguing that families should be trapped in your crappy institutions 
I'm arguing we should let the families choose. And if the public schools are doing such a great job, then families will continue to choose the public or government run schools. They don't want to say that because it admits that they're not confident in their product. Mm. But then the other Mm. argument is they, they usually won't say this out loud, but when they do, it blows up in their face. They'll say, well, you know, the families will choose these other schools, but it's not because the other schools are better. It's just, you know, parents aren't education experts. And, you know, these are low income families we're talking about. And so they might not, they're not going to choose the school that is actually better. It's, it's actually that the public schools are the best. And these parents just, they don't know any better. And that's the elitist argument. It's the mm. worst argument against school choice. You see it sometimes in state legislatures. Last year, I shared a video from Kentucky, for example, a Democrat who opposed school choice, which actually ended up passing last year. Mm. Um, She made the argument that, well, Virginia has this program that's kind of like this, but it's mostly higher income people using it. You know, this this program here is a little different. And, you know, are we really expecting parents to just shop around for their education, implying that she didn't think that they had the ability to do so? That blew up in her face. And it, and look, that's why it's such a good response to mm. this argument, because either thing that they say is it's it's a it's it's horrible and it shows that their their position is indefensible. And then my other response is, look, the money doesn't belong to the government schools in the first place. The education funding is meant for educating the child, right. not for propping up and protecting a particular institution. So it's not your money to begin with. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's the same leftist ideology. One, exactly what you're talking about is why uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin won his race in Virginia. Like, there is wipe every other issue off the fucking map, whatever cultural shit might be going on, or even the economy. Parents who were told by elitists that not only could they not have a say in what their children were learning, but they don't even have the right to, to see what they're learning. We're like, fuck you. I mean, 60% of adult Americans are fucking parents. You're not going to win that argument ever. I don't care how fucking woke uh, the country gets. Now, you've had quite a bit of success uh, pinning some of this stuff down. And I want to go back to something you said about, I I guess it's... um, we're rethinking who the who the stakeholders are, right? In a, in an American primary education, in particular. Although the, some of the stuff you discussed mm-hmm. about uh, schools closing down and kids still having to uh, not have one, not have a choice, and two, pay, fully fund that institution, that's going on uh, in particularly in the Ivy League and in secondary education as well. And people are not happy about that. Like you're paying uh, sixty thousand dollars a year to go to a school, they close it down and you're still paying 60,000 to be on your computer and your underwear at home. Some people are like, yeah, that seems kind of fucked up. But, uh, right now with public schools, primary schools, like, uh, K through 12, the customer isn't the student or the parent. It's the government, right? Sure. The, 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 the funding comes from the government by way of taxes and whomever provides your funding, that's ultimately, who your customer is. School choice makes kids and parents the customer again, and it introduces uh, uh, just plain market economics into the fray, like you talk about. If you don't have uh, any issues improving your product, listening to the customer, then you won't have any issues with this school choice thing, right? That's right. And look, everywhere that school choice has been tried, there's over 60 programs nationwide that allow the funding to follow the child to a private school. Never has it destroyed public schools. And in fact, there's 27 studies on the topic that find that uh, 25 of those 27 studies find statistically significant positive effects of private school choice competition 
on the kids' outcomes in the public schools. So school choice is a rising tide that lifts all boats. In most cases, the public schools do up their game in response to this competition, and they do a better job, just like you'd see in every other industry. Competition works with higher education, pre-K, every other level of education, and every other level of, of every other industry in the United States. It works for K-12 education at the same time. And, and you're right. This is a big part of the Virginia election. Uh, Terry McAuliffe uh, will go down in history of having one of the biggest campaign blunders of all time when he said at the final gubernatorial debate that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. What a what a dumb thing to say after two nearly two years of school closures and Virginia being one of the states that had some of the worst, longest, prolong, most prolonged school closures in the country. And parents were upset with what they saw over remote learning. They were upset with um, the, the curriculum, and they wanted more of a say in their kids' education. And Terry McAuliffe made the mistake of not just doubling down, but tripling down and quadrupling down yeah. on that anti-parent rhetoric. He even had Randy Weingarten <clears throat> stumping for him the night before the election, yeah. the least liked union president in all uh, of the United States. Which in is my opinion, that's actually that's actually saying something too, because there's not there there aren't a whole lot of well-liked union presidents these days, even amongst the union membership themselves. And, you know, the, when we dug into the uh, uh, places that had super high-functioning, I guess if you want to call it that, and I don't mean well-functioning, high-functioning uh, union activity, particularly at the primary education level, Chicago, for example, those teachers were logging in on average twice a week, right, to check on students' work and to interact with the students and stuff like that. And we have multiple studies, not published in fucking rt.com or newsmax but in washington post new york times la times etc outlining exactly how damaging this has been to children right yep. yeah the mckinsey and company analysis they did this with millions of students uh, repeatedly over the pandemic period finding that kids were behind three to five months in in math and reading and there was another study by emily oster and her colleagues published in the national bureau of economic research finding that School, school districts that had uh, their, their, their public schools closed for in-person instruction, they had higher, a 10 percentage point higher degree of math learning loss mm. than schools that were open, all else equal after controlling for differences in student background characteristics. And um, there's, there was also studies finding that there were mental health deterioration among students and parents at the same time. One of them uh, was published in JAMA, a, a, the, one of the top medical journals, the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2021, all else equal, uh, the, the kids had higher reports of mental health issues. We also saw that over the pandemic period, there was about a 31% increase in the emergency department visits associated with teenage suicide attempts. And the number was even higher for female students. So there, look, which is that, closures- that's, a, that's an outlier, by the way, typically when it's uh, from, uh, 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 12 years old to infinity males dominate the suicide uh, statistic. It's like 65% of suicides are male or uh, 65% of attempts. I think at this point, it, it used to be a little bit different, but yeah, it's uh, seeing that many young female suicide attempts is very bizarre statistically since we've been gathering that data. And it's there's, there's been, I don't know what else you can nail it down to. I mean, co- Causation correlation. We want to pay attention to shit like that. Mm. But when you're when we're seeing all these uh, uh, learning deficiencies and social deficiencies come directly out of these school closures, what else do you blame it on? I mean, come on, man. Look, 
Yeah, especially when we have, you know, that was just correlational. But yeah. uh, looking at the studies showing that even after you control for a ton of characteristics, I mean, it's not a random assignment study, but it's pretty dang good in JAMA finding spikes in in at least reports of mental health issues in places that close their schools longer. And they were more pronounced for lower income kids mm. and non-white students at the same time, uh, which led to more inequities uh, from, from keeping the schools closed. And there's also about um, at least six studies I've seen on the topic, all finding that places with stronger teachers unions were more likely to keep the schools closed in the fall of 2020. Most people, you know, you didn't really need a study for that, but there were still six studies on the topic, at least all finding the same conclusion. And in places like Chicago, like you mentioned, through 2022 in January, they were they were doing strike votes. Um, to not go back to work because because of supposed safety concerns. It's the same city that had a union board member, Chicago Teachers Union board member, was partying in Puerto Rico while uh, railing I mean, the, against Rio, going back to work. The mayor was out on the street with a megaphone several weeks, what, a month and a half prior to that, celebrating the victory uh, for a presidential election, right, uh, uh, in 2021, right? So, I mean, it's uh, I, I think that was in January of 21, right? Where she's yeah, that, she's, that's that's when the 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 news story at least came out about the um the the board member vacationing in Puerto Rico while while railing against going back to work. Yeah, but I mean we've seen that all over the place. It's the 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 whole idea rules uh, for thee, not for me. A lot of people have heard that phrase, right. and a lot it, it's uh, back to what you were saying about this presumption from elitists that regular people just can't figure it out, and it and it particularly targets uh. uh poor and black people for some reason. I don't know why. I guess uh, I've talked to so many different fucking people about this at this point, but this presumption that people of color or people that live in poor neighborhoods just can't figure out how to get uh, identification or register to vote or start a business or figure out anything about what they want to do with their own lives is the most racist shit I've seen in modern history. Uh, Like by far. Way, there's way more of that, not just uh, per capita, but in total in the West right now than there is actual like overt racism, like using slurs or, or fucking supremacist groups or any of that shit. The vast majority of racism right now is in the form of lowered expectations, and nobody right. seems to be addressing that uh, at any real level. So even during the... Um, uh, the, the left is constantly talking about childcare, right? And I, I agree with them. That is a huge issue. It's something if there are a lot of people who aren't working because they can't afford the childcare uh, during the day to keep their kids uh, 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 taken care of and shit. There are a lot of people uh, historically who uh, the parent, the second parent will work a job just to pay for the childcare and get health insurance and things like that. There are a lot of issues surrounding things that, uh, like the healthcare industry and uh, the childcare industry that are completely out of control, and we need to fucking you know figure something out there. And Biden even mentioned it in the State of the Union last night. But they refuse to allow for things like school choice that would give parents so much more flexibility, right? Being able to take that money that might go to a school that's closed down and use it for a homeschool, right? co-op somewhere in your neighborhood where the kid's learning, but also being taken care of during, during the day. So you can go work and pay your fucking bills. That seems like a good idea for everybody, except for the teachers union. Right. 
That's right. I mean, this this is a it should be a nonpartisan issue. But like, if you look at the example from yesterday, an Idaho representative, a Democrat, Steve Birch, I sh- I shared a video of him saying, you know, he said something along the lines that this isn't a school choice bill. They were talking about a school choice bill, but he was saying that this is a who pays for someone else's school choice bill. Uh, and then he later on says. Quote, a lot of these scholarships will go to people who don't pay taxes, end quote. And then he laughs. Um, it's like, who wants to tell them about how government schools are, are, are funded? Yeah. And we're already spending the money. And uh, for everything else, aren't isn't it the same person who who before would would argue for um, helping people pay for things who, who don't pay taxes? What about all these other programs that people who don't pay taxes, they, they they're able to to reap the benefits of the program. It's just so crazy. And it's all to cater to the special interest group, the teachers union who disproportionately donate to Democrats. I mean, if you look at the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, who I mentioned earlier, uh, over 97% of the campaign contributions from the AFT, Randy's union, went to uh, Democratic candidates as opposed to Republicans in every single election cycle since 1990. That's three decades. And in most of the cycles, it was over 99% of those contributions went to Democrats. So you get this weird situation where a lot of the same people who support funding individuals as opposed to institutions for everything else, whether it comes to higher education, pre-K or any other industry, they get all up in arms about it only when it comes to K-12 education because uh, there's a difference of power dynamics. Choice is the norm with everything else, but choice threatens an entrenched special interest only when it comes to those in-between years of K-12 education. So, of course, they fight as hard as possible against any change to the status quo. Right. And, and the, te- the teachers union, by the way, fights for the rights of teachers, not children. Like the, if you, they may include some verbiage in the uh, charter of a teachers union to that effect. But why? Just think about the the reason the teachers union exists. Uh, the the police union doesn't protect cr- people who uh, the the cops serve. Like it doesn't protect members of the public. So why would the teachers union protect children? It doesn't make any sense sure. to even think that way. Well, and the teachers union doesn't even do all that much uh, of good work for great teachers. No, I mean, if don't. you look at teacher salaries over time. We throw more and more money into the system. For example, between uh, Ben Scafidi did a, a report on this from Kennesaw State University. Nationwide, between 1992 and 2014, per pupil education expenditures in the government school system jumped by 27%, even after adjusting for inflation. But teacher salaries actually dropped by 2% in real terms because the union bosses have an incentive to put more and more people into the buildings as opposed to putting the the resources into the classroom to go to individual teachers, because when you have more people in the buildings, that means more dues paying members, which is great for Randy Weingarten, who makes over $560,000 a year, but it's not so great for teachers in the classroom uh, when their monopoly employers don't have any incentives to spend the money wisely. So they put it towards staffing surges Mm -hmm. and administrative bloat as opposed towards resources into the classroom. Yeah, I so, think over and- the last 40 years, maybe you could correct my math on this. This then <clears throat> this data might be a little bit old because it comes from when I was working in politics about 10 years ago, but it's something like over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, teacher's seller salary relative to inflation has risen uh, a, a little bit, but are uh, uh, the, I'm sorry, the expenditure on teacher salary. So that would include raises and additional teachers has raised, has gone up about 27%, I think. So it's more teachers mostly accounting for that and not, as you mentioned, 
uh, their salaries relative to inflation, uh, but administrative costs have gone up by like two thousand percent. Right. Yeah, so, that's that's the problem. And it's not um, just it's not it's not just administrative bloat, but it's and it's not just uh, Randy Weingarten's salary, which is by the way fucking ridiculous. Uh, that that somebody would be making that amount of money to do the job that she's doing. It's also the the millions and millions of dollars, as you mentioned before, from these special interest groups that are going into Washington. I mean, what politician is going to vote to uh, weaken the teachers unions that are fucking c- continuously getting them elected? You know what I mean? That's right. Yeah, uh, that that's the problem. And um, in that same study that I mentioned by Ben Scafidi, the number the, the the number of administrators in the system increased by seven times the rate of the increase in student enrollment. Um, so your customers are barely going up, and then you're just pouring more and more high paid, highly paid administrators into the system um, because look, it's a monopoly, and they don't have to care all that much about the mm. kids. But I do think that having the money follow the child would change that weird power dynamic that's ingrained into the government run school system. And I wouldn't really have a problem with, with teachers unions or even superintendents unions if the money followed the child, because then they would have to think a little bit about how their policies that they push for impact the kids. I don't, Um, what I don't understand is how uh, members, right. The actual teachers support any of this shit because this has been a number that's been flung around quite a bit over the last 10 years or so in these debates, and it's mostly been flung around by the teachers' union. And I don't understand why they think they're dunking on people by saying this, but the average uh, primary school teacher, K-12 teacher, particularly when it gets to like third grade or higher, spends something like four to $500 of their own money buying school supplies every single year, whether it's cleaning up desks for the year or buying pens and pencils and paper and erasers and markers and all kinds of shit like that. That is not a win statement for the teachers union. That means you have set these people up for absolute fucking failure. That's right. And look, I mean, we spend over $15,000 per student per year in government run schools nationwide, whereas average private school tuition and fees is only about 11 or $12,000 per per student per year. Um, But look, 15,000 times, you know, 30 kids in a classroom on average, that's $450,000 per class. Teachers only making about $60,000 per year on average nationwide. Um, where's the rest of the money going? Where's the you know $390,000 going? It's not going to the teachers. It's going towards administrative blow and just putting more and more people into the building, support staff, uh, you know, tons of assistant principals. And um, so the teachers unions don't uh, represent the teachers well in terms of where the money's going and the policies they're pushing for, but also they're making them look bad. I mean, look at what happened over the past two years. Randy Weingarten is on Twitter nonstop bashing conservatives. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of K to 12 teachers who identify as conservatives. About 40% who don't actually. like that. Like yeah, 40%. It's a, it's a large That's a, that, that may not seem like a lot. Like, yeah, 40% is not 60%, but it's 40% of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. That's a lot of fucking people to just insult, especially when you're not representing them in any way that's has it like a, the people don't get into primary education to get rich. Obviously, like I don't think anybody's that stupid. They do it because they love teaching and they get into this fucking system and just get chewed up. Right. And, and, and I, I think your audience so far has primarily been to mobilize uh, parents who are in, interested in this sort of stuff because they want the best product for their kids and leverage that against politicians who can make these decisions. But 
Uh, the audience also has got to be the teachers, man. Like convincing enough of these fucking people to say no to these, like not say no to to organized labor in general, but certainly the way it's been run recently. Uh, uh, the the a- a- AFT in particular is just fucking dog shit. Yes, and look, the uh, competition in the market for goods and services is obviously good for the families, the parents, and their kids. But competition in the labor market is also good for employees. And essentially, there's a monopsony in the labor market when it comes to K-12 education. And in fact, there's five studies that I've seen on the topic, which I've written about at uh, the Washington Examiner in a post called School Choice Benefits Teachers Too. And all five studies on the topic have found that private and charter school competition actually leads to higher teacher salaries in the public schools. Of course it does, because if they're good teachers, you have to pay them more to keep them. Right. Which which would also, by the way, force the public school system to spend more on teachers and less on administrative bloat. Just de facto, it would force them to do that. They would have to stop the runaway administrative bloat that's been going on and start spending money to keep talent. I mean, that's this is this is just fucking basic economics. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not it's not that hard. I have one of the easiest jobs in the world because my uh, intellectual opponents are. Uh, intellectually bankrupt in a lot of ways. Mm. They only have the same, you know, couple of arguments that they repeat over and over again. It's a losing argument when you look at the logic and the merits of their arguments. Um, and uh, it, it's pretty easy to respond to them. Uh, they, but they've just haven't had much opposition in a, for, for for decades. They've just been able to just repeat the same thing over and over again because they have a lot of people in the system. Uh, their message has been able to to circulate. And, but I think what's changed in recent years is that K through 12 education has gotten into the spotlight with the coronavirus pandemic mm. and parents really thinking a lot about what's going on in the kids' classroom after the disasters of, of remote learning. And uh, now school choice is in, in the, the, the spotlight. And I think when a winning issue that has logical arguments on its side is in the spotlight, that's ultimately going to be a good thing for parental rights and education in the long run. And polling has has substantially increased in support of school choice over the past couple of years. For example, one that just came out a few days ago, nationwide polling from Real Clear Opinion Research found an eight percentage point jump in support of school choice from uh, 64% support overall in April 2020 to 72% support overall in February of 2022. And then just yesterday, the Texas primary election had a school choice on the Republican uh, ballot. And the it, it's almost complete. There's about 98% of, of polling completed at this point before we jumped onto the, the live stream. But it was at about 87.5% support among Republican primary voters. And the last time they did a school choice question, I believe, was in 2018. And that number was 78.7% support. That was high, too, but it's jumped nine percentage points in Texas as well. And again, it's because parents are paying attention to what's going on in their kids' education, and they want more of a say. And the best way to do that is to allow the money to follow the child to truly empower parents to pick the best situation for their kid. Right. I mean, it's that that is the the obvious solution to anything, though, right? I mean, how how often? Even, I don't know how much work you've done in the actual business world over the years, but in marketing, very frequently when you're stumped, when you're stuck and can't figure some shit out, crowdsourcing 
uh, is a pretty good idea. Like you, you listen to what your customers are telling you and you give them what they want. That's a pretty good business model provided you have a reasonable and large customer base. And uh, parents are by and large reasonable. And it, is, it might be the largest of all customer bases that exists, right? Because uh, uh, so many people have children and there are so many people. Uh, I, you've had a lot of success. Uh, and by the way, I want to go back to that that Texas thing. Polling is polling, right? And I think over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, especially since like the 2012 election or so, people have been really distrustful of public polls. But voting is something altogether different. <laughs> so uh, when 87%, 87% percent of uh, the, the majority party in a state like Texas says that they want school choice, uh, you've really got to pay attention to that if you're People like I don't know. The left has this ostrich ideology. They they like to bury their head in the sand and pretend shit's not happening and call it like Nancy Pelosi said. The reason people that that Biden had low polling is because the American population is too ignorant to understand what he's done for oh, them and shit like oops. that. Like deplorables. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's that same shit over and over. Uh, and, and it's it's so fucking stupid. But they keep doing it. We'll see if that persists. Uh, you've had a lot of success with over the past couple of years with legislators around the U.S. Uh, uh, and I want to talk about some of those successes. So run me through some of the main successes you've had and give me some data on how many states or, or jurisdictions or whatever it is have uh, adopted this uh, school yeah. choice ideology. Yes, I already talked about the recent surge in opinion polling uh, increases, but that's just polling, right? We mm-hmm. want to know what how, how people are actually uh, able to take advantage of these things. And in, in 2021, we're actually calling it the year of school choice because of the great momentum that we saw on the ground. 19 states enacted or expanded programs to fund students as opposed to systems in 2021. And for reference, in the previous legislative session, we only had one state, Utah, from what I can recall, that implemented a new school choice program in in that previous session. So to jump from that to 19 states, uh, ex- expanding school choice in 2021. It was a monumental year, and we're partially blaming. We should give an award actually to Randy Weingarten for inadvertently advancing school choice that more than anyone could have ever imagined uh, by keeping schools closed for so long and allowing parents to see what the heck was going on in the classroom. And some of the big victories uh, were in terms of this program called an education savings account. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I, I gave a quick argument, you know, a lay of the land of what school choice is. The purest way to do that right now is something called an education savings account. The funding that would have followed you to the government-run school, you could still take it there. You like your public school, you could keep your public school, but for real, and like with the thing with the doctor a few years back. But the money that would have followed you there would follow your child to an education savings account directed by the family. And you can use the funding for private school tuition and fees, kind of like a voucher program. But you could also use that funding for any other approved education expenditure. I mean, that's how the GI Bill works as well, right? So it started out as just applying to major universities. But over time, as the dynamic change in the American workforce, it started to apply to trade schools and uh, certificate programs and other types of training and stuff like that. This makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just think about the health health savings account. You can use it for any approved health expenditure. This would just be an education savings account, but the funding uh, for that program would come from the money that would have followed your kid to the government-run school. All that to say, the number of states with these types of innovative school choice programs have doubled in 2021 from five states to 10 states. 
And one of the biggest victories was in West Virginia, if not the biggest victory. It now has the most expansive education savings account program in the nation, where over 90% of the of families um, uh, will be eligible uh, based on income. Uh, it's, it's actually not regardless of income, you can qualify. There's a couple of things in there that don't make it 100%, but it's pretty dang close to 100% of the population can use this program. And for, for listeners who don't know this, there are some programs that only apply to a very small segment of the population and they grow over time. But uh, typically there's, there's a lot of programs that exist that are income targeted or targeted to students just with special needs. Right. But this one in West Virginia, they said, screw it, everybody, we're already paying this funding for, for everybody. Everybody's entitled to a publicly funded education. Uh, so everybody should be eligible regardless of income. And I think there's more bills in recent years, including 2022, pushing for these expansive programs, um, which is another thing that's huge about in 2021. It wasn't just that 19 states had victories. We had these substantial victories in places like West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And they they didn't have any any school choice in 2020. They didn't have any charter schools. They didn't have any private school choice programs. And then in 2021, they went from zero to a hundred with the most expansive ESA in the nation. All right, Corey, give me a minute. Uh, we're going to do some ads, keep the show on the, on the air. Actually, we're just going to do one right now. Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else. 30% off. Use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Uh, you know, they got the zero down, 0% financing plan they've had for years, but instead of 36 months, it's now 60 months. So you can buy a mattress for somewhere between 25 and 35 a month uh, with the adjustable base uh, bundle. You get a mattress, adjustable base, anything else you add, 40% off. That's a pretty good fucking deal. 20 to 25 year warranty, depending on the mattress. 101 nights, you can try this bitch. and It is the most comfortable cooling mattress of all time. Now they've got uh, the mattress cover. Uh, protectors. They got weighted blankets, the best pillows in the world. They got it all. So go to ghostbed.com for slash drink bros and check out them deals. Uh, next up, hardest fuck seltzer. It's live. If you're a member of Patreon, if not, you need to tune in tomorrow to uh, drinking bros, the fake news, and we'll give you uh, access. Then it's the best seltzer in the world. 8%. Uh, go to hardest fuck seltzer hardafseltzer.com. Uh, you can enter your email to get a notification about it, or you can just fucking wait until tomorrow. Wow, that's great. I mean, uh, so you've had successes in a number of places. I think there's 24 states, in, uh, 23 states in D.C. that have some kind of uh, 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 private school choice program or public charter school law or something like that. Uh, there's other states yeah. that have like a lower level to some degree, but a lot of them, like you said, are still uh, targeted to certain demographics instead of just being yeah. wide open. Uh, uh, and I, you know, it's it seems like just kind of <clears throat> virtue signaling and half measures to me, right? I mean, if it's good for for one group, it's probably going to be good for everybody, right? I, yeah, I'm I'm on the universal train mm-hmm. that look, we're paying for this for everyone. Everyone should have the right to take their kids' education dollars to the education provider they're choosing. The thing is, uh, we have so many of these incremental programs mm-hmm. because of the theory of incremental reform that you know maybe we start start smaller just to um, uh, test out the concept, do a pilot program, and we have seen 
that work in, in, in a lot of places and in, in that it has expanded over time. But uh, at the same time, the teachers unions and the establishment, they, 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 um, they push back this as hard as possible, regardless of how big or small the program is, whether it's everybody that's going to get it or whether it's 1% of the school age population, they act like they'll still just use these crazy arguments about how, even if it's small, it's going to destroy the public education system. They, they, they never tone down their rhetoric. So my argument is, well, if they're if they're going to act like the their hair's on fire, regardless of what we introduce, we might as well go big and mobilize the people that are on our side. Because uh, if 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 you're a supporter of school choice, then you realize that you don't you're not eligible for the program. That might not make you very happy, and it certainly won't be as much to mobilize you to to go testify in favor of these things. So, uh, I'd say we we should uh, be pushing for more of these more expansive programs. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, uh, I think you know, the latest estimates from, uh, a American Federation for children, your organization is, uh, something like 575, 600,000 kids are now enrolled in these programs nationwide. Yep. That's out of what, like 22 million or, t- or sorry, 30 million kids that are. Yeah. It's, it's less than a, per- a percent of the school age population nationwide. Yeah. Um, Charter school enrollment, for example, is about uh, 3.2, over 3.2 million kids. It's over 6% of the school age population in charter schools, which is another form of school choice. Um, But as far as funding the student directly and allowing them to choose any type of school, public or private, Mm. that's, you know, it's a very small percentage, but there's some states that are higher than others. For example, in Arizona, I think it's over 6% of the school age population Mm. is enrolled in some type of private school choice initiative. And in Florida, I think it's about five to 6% as well. Those are the top two states I'd say for uh, uh, allowing the funding to follow the child. And with West Virginia and their monumental victory, they have 0% enrolled right now, obviously, because they haven't implemented the program yet. But with all these victories from 2021, we should see those numbers uh, substantially increase over time. Right. Uh, I, again, I, I just don't understand from the teach, the individual teacher's perspective. I don't understand why they would not be 100% on board with this. I mean, uh, from, if it, you, you know that they get into the, to the, to education because it's something they enjoy and they want to do something good for the community, for kids, we know there, there's, there's no data you're going to find that's that that'll show that public schools are that per, that public schools produce a more educated child than private or homeschooled kids that that data doesn't mm-hmm. exist i mean it's not even close either like the the average reading level of a graduate from high school versus the average reading level from like a ninth grader in public or on private and chart and uh public char, or private charter and homeschool is not even close. I think the average high school graduate in America reads at like a seventh grade level or some shit like that. It's not even like the product that they're putting out is not even close to the same. And then of course, if parents are able to, to, to spend the money the way they want private and charter and homeschool co-ops and things like that are going to get better, even better funded than they are now. And we'll be able to pay way more uh, for teachers' salaries, and it's also a hedge against administrative bloat. Like if you see that happening at the private level, you're like, "Fuck this, we're leaving." 
You know what I mean? Yeah, like right I mean, now, this, parents don't have a choice except for to show up to school board meetings and get called terrorists. You know what I mean? That's, that's right. Oh, which which didn't really work out for this <laughs> National School Board Association. Did the the latest state was Idaho? Um, Twenty one states now have announced that they're going to discontinue their membership or their funding of the uh, National School Board Association. At this point, we should change their name to the Regional School Board Association yeah. <laughs> because they've essentially imploded by. You know, sending that letter to the Biden administration suggesting that some parents should be investigated as domestic terrorists just for showing up at school board meetings and voicing their opinions about the curriculum. Um, and the thing is, look, this this goes to show you that parents do have real power when they band together and push for something and they can do it relatively quickly if they all sing the same tune and push for the same policy. And so I think that's part of the reason why we saw victories in 2021 with school choice. We have over 32 states now this year with some type of school choice bill in play. And uh, the way that I'd like to put it is that the teachers unions really overplayed their hand, showed their true colors and awakened a sleeping giant who are these parents who want more of a say in their kids' education Parents are essentially a new special interest group when it comes to K-12 education, and I don't think they're going away anytime soon because they felt powerless in 2020, and they're going to push to make sure they never feel powerless like that ever again. And it's not a good idea to label parents who are just who just want more of a say in their kids' education as domestic terrorists. I mean, they just went overboard. And, and 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 let their masks slip yeah, when it yeah. comes to the National School Board Association. I mean, imagine all the shit you can get away with until you piss off a mom that's concerned. Right. I mean, I'm not even talking about just human beings. You can do a lot of stuff around a bit, like a you, this this uh, Hank the Tank, this bear that's going down into L.A. and fucking eating people's food and shit or wherever the fuck it is, somewhere in California. Um that bear will probably run away if you come near it. You turn that bear into a mom and her cubs are around and that bear will fuck you up. Even if it even if you're not even a real threat, if it thinks you're a threat. Now, uh, you know, give you give yourself another 150,000 years of evolution and you've got a pissed off mom who's like, "What did you say to my kid?" You know what I mean? It's like a biological instinct to protect their children and that, you know, to uh, it's not to anybody's credit to our, all of our collective faults. We've been asleep at the wheel when it comes to education. We've trusted the government. We've trusted this no child left behind bullshit and all the other stupid fucking government programs that have come out over the last 40 years in education. And, you know, we've paid the price for it, but it does, it is heartening now to see uh, parents paying attention again. Well, I think for a long time, parents just, you know, they thought that their kids were in good, quote unquote, public schools um, just based on the state rankings. Maybe they were in an A rated school or a blue ribbon school Mm. like in Texas, or um, maybe uh, their kids were just getting good grades. They were on the honor roll and they had great star tests, you know, standardized testing results. Uh, but now parents with the the, the, the silver lining uh, or unintended benefit of the remote instruction was that parents saw another dimension of school quality, which happened to be whether the curriculum aligned with their values, which, you know, I think most parents, when, when they heard these things happening, they just thought it was something that wasn't very widespread. And um, they thought, no way this is happening. My kid's A-rated school. And I think parents... Um, had a light bulb go off. And so these parents, again, yeah, are going to keep pushing forward. They're never going to forget what happened in 2020. 
And they're going to keep pushing for it because they care about their kids more than anybody else. And that's just the reality. So so politicians should listen to parents as opposed to the union um, mm. bosses like Randy Weingarten. Because yeah, I don't, parents I don't know why care they about would, their kids more than them. I don't know why they would listen to anything that she has to say uh, at all in the first place. But I guess that's just the nature of the power dynamic. Uh, now, you've had a lot of successes. Who, who are some of the people you've run into that are fucking problems? Um, I know Utah just... Uh, uh, rejected the school choice, the hope scholarship thing. Yeah, we've, we, we had trouble in, in Utah. Um, didn't pass through the house. Uh, you had more, I think more Republicans voted against the bill than Democrats, which is a shame because the latest morning consult polling in Utah found that, uh, over three quarters of school parents in Utah support the funding following the child in the form of an education savings account. That's what they voted on. Um, the thing is, even in deep red states, you have the unions playing in primary elections. So they pick someone who looks like a Republican on every other issue except for education. And so they pick that candidate and try to get them elected. We've seen a similar problem in the Texas House. I mean, look at the Texas primary result. 88 percent of Texas Republican primary voters, over 1.8 million uh, or 1.6 million voted yesterday supporting the money following the child to any public or pu- private school that works for them. Uh, yet Texas does not have any private school choice programs. Mm. <clears throat> One such bill passed through the Texas Senate in 2017. It was Senate Bill 3, but then it didn't have the votes in the Texas House, even though the Texas House is is a uh, supposedly Republican um, House of Representatives. So. Um, you know, you have these groups that that push in the primaries for um, uh, establishment types who who protect the monopoly. Sure, yeah, that's and, that's how it always goes. I, it's very easy for people uh, who are conservative or who care about these particular issues to think that it's uh, right versus left, and that's just not the case. I mean, it's it's been for a long time. There have been the the legislature here in Texas has been Republican for as long as Texas has existed. Same thing with Utah, by the way, two of the more red solidly red state legislatures that exist. And it's two of the primary locations in the United States who've had the opportunity to do these things and have rejected them consistently. So Utah has a tax credit scholarship program, Mm. but what they were pushing for this year, the hope scholarship would have been much more expansive. It would have been true school choice. Mm. And look, the reality is, the, the National Republican Party platform has school choice explicitly listed on it. The Texas Republican Party platform and many other red states have school choice listed. You look at the Texas Republican primary voter result from yesterday, 88 percent support. Yet Texas still doesn't have it because um, of the power dynamics at play. Again, even in even in red states, um, you have uh, you, ha- you have people who say they support parental rights and education, but then when it really comes down to it, they'll block it. And the the problem right now in Texas is the House of Representatives. I think that's similar in Georgia. Um, Georgia has some tax credit scholarship programs, at least, um, which are a form of private school choice. But uh, there there was some issues in Georgia where the Speaker of the House, uh, Dave Ralston, killed a bill that would would have been much more expansive. And I think uh, the the Senate wasn't the problem there either. It was the House of Representatives. And you'll hear these Republicans in rural areas in particular who will say, 
You know, it's be, it's 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 because my constituents don't want it. I'm in a rural area. But before we got on the call, I was actually looking up some of the most rural districts in Texas, for example, mm-hmm. and just looking up, you know, the, the support on the poll. If what they were saying was true, then you'd see lower support in those areas. Uh, but actually, I found in the fifth most rural district, for example, in Texas, it was it started with a C. I don't remember the name of it. But they had 97% support on the on Prop 9 for school choice in Texas. So it's, it's a bunch of baloney, the arguments that they're saying. They're just using finding any excuse that they can to side with the monopoly to go against parents. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's how it's going to be. I mean, uh, it's it's the same thing you see with the, uh, the trucker convoy in Canada. They find two jackasses that have like some kind of racist flag or some shit like, Oh, they're all racist. Like, okay. So two people out of 10,000, that's not even a percent. We should at least get to 1% before we start, uh, 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 monolithing people (laughs) as a certain thing. Uh, now this all sounds great to me. Uh, school choice. I like the idea that, um, parents as groups have the ability to flex this kind of power. Uh, it's important. I mean, they ultimately, uh, I, some, somebody made it, uh, a, a logo on a shirt. I don't remember who it was, but it was something like, um, I don't co-parent my child with the government basically, which is a good thing to say. I, I, I do have just to, you know, for, to play devil's avocado here. Um, <laughs> how do you protect the institution of primary education? And I don't mean the institution of public primary. Yeah. I, I just mean in general, primary education because it's evolved a lot over the years it used to be that you learned the three r's which only one of them starts with a goddamn r but you learned the three r's from your parents at home and all the advanced more advanced shit you would learn you know from a specialist teacher somewhere else and the the teaching day was much shorter because people were fucking farming and doing whatever else but uh and it's evolved quite a bit from there and obviously we're in a uh, administrative bloat slash mission creep era right now we're over the last 40 years we're just getting worse and worse but how do you how do you protect that the institution of primary education from groups of what I would call bad actors like ignorant fucking groups of people or uh, who they don't want their kids learning certain things that that might be necessary historical or whatever or they want to reintroduce like religion into classrooms or whatever because that's coming right at some point there's going to be areas around the country that do stupid shit. Now, you yeah. always you, whenever whenever you're planning a big move like that, <laughs> where you're giving when you're crowdsourcing power, you always have to worry about bad actors inside of that power. It's the hallmark of writing good legislation. Actually, is you write it so that it can't be taken advantage of by assholes. And I wonder right. what safeguards there are from your perspective in school choice that prevent shit like that from happening. Yeah, I'll just start out by saying we don't want to make perfect the enemy of the good because there are bad actors in the government-run school system. And so we shouldn't reject uh, giving parents options just because some parents might make a bad decision. Of For course. example, you know, you might say, oh, well, you know, with with um, uh, food stamps, what if they use it nefariously? Uh, do we get do we take away that option from every single family or even with without food stamps? You know, there might be some parents who choose the wrong food for their kids and that would be a problem. So we got to have everybody assigned to a government grocery store where the government official gives you a bag of groceries because some parents might not make the right decision. So uh, I think even if there are some uh, mistakes that might happen from giving parents choice, which 
to, to be clear, a lot of families already do have choice if they have the money to, right. to, to do so. But even then, there are safeguards in place with things like education savings accounts. For example, you might be worried that, well, there's the, these education savings accounts, and what if they go and spend the money on their favorite restaurant or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or whatever? That's And it's not they're not educating the kid. Um, so they, they do have uh, written into the law that the funding has to be used on approved education providers. Right. So you can't just, um, uh, from what I can tell, you can't just use the funding and say, I'm homeschooling and I'm just going to pay myself a salary, uh, with, with four kids, 15,000 a piece, 60 grand a year. And what if I just don't educate them? For example, um, some of them have some types of like, uh, nationally norm reference testing requirements, Mm. uh, that can alleviate some concerns, uh, but like for like home-based learning expenses, you typically have to pay a private tutor where you'd have to do some type of like homeschooling co-op or micro school that's established instead of just taking in, taking in your own salary. So that reduces the likelihood of mm-hmm. fraud. Um, and uh, but but at the end of the day, I mean, there's there's wasted taxpayer resources in government schools that get more and more money each year. Um and even if what they're doing doesn't look like fraud on paper, they're defrauding millions of kids each year by failing to provide an adequate education to those kids. And yeah, so I think yeah, yeah. the, the parents are just generally more likely to get the decision right than bureaucrats sitting in offices hundreds of miles away for their own kids. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever watched The Wire uh, season three through four in particular, you can see the struggles of the of the public school systems, particularly in low income areas where teachers aren't teaching kids shit. They're just teaching them how to pass the test, because if the kids don't pass the test, then that school doesn't get funded again next year. That that is the that's the worst fucking strategy I've ever heard in my life. But that that's what No Child Left Behind was, right? Yeah. And th- this is another reason why I'm kind of skeptical about uh, this argument that you know, we 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 got to hold people accountable to the to, the taxpayer funding, and we got to make sure they're spending it on the right things. And right. I don't trust the government to figure out what the right things are, so I don't want to allow a lot of regulations into these programs yep, for something that's probably not happening very often. Because I would ruin the private education of tons of it put, could potentially ruin the private education for lots of kids. I mean, because the other the flip side of this argument is. Well, if there's too many regulations, now you're turning the private schools into government schools. Right. And so you're you're replicating the crappy schools yep. that the the parents were trying to leave. And so now if you incentivize the private schools to teach to the government school test, if you have the state test, for example, well, then that could be another problem. So I think yeah. the better solution is to, you know, make sure that there isn't like really fraudulent things happening. Make sure it's being spent on education. Yes, but don't dictate what that education should look like. Um, and and if you're going to have some type of test, don't make it the state test. At least let the private school pick some type of norm referenced test so that there's a little bit more autonomy on the, on, on the part of the <clears throat> curriculum for the private educators. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. I mean, government, any kind of government regulation is going to turn into, uh, like, it, let's say it's like SACS, you know, like a, any kind of uh, university accreditation situation like that. The government will just try to grip 
that power, whatever way it can, and then legislate through that in the same way that Biden tried to use the fucking uh, uh, tried to use uh, uh, health and safety protocols instead of actually voting on mask mandates and vaccine mandates and shit like that. Like he tried to use OSHA as a regulation instead of actually passing a law because he knew he couldn't pass the law. Uh, it's the same backhanded bullshit the government always pulls. And it's the same for, you know, uh, the, the argument you make for choice here is the same argument that most people make for the Second Amendment. Like, yeah, there's going yeah. to be, there is some inherent danger in, in people being t- allowed to freely own firearms. There's no question about that. But there's a lot more danger and a lot less efficiency in letting the government dictate who can and can't. And we're seeing some of that bear out in Canada and Ukraine and a number of other places right now. Uh, one other question are somebody in the audience here had a question about, <clears throat> uh, about some stuff. I don't know if this, I don't know if you have an answer to this or not, but the general question is why can she save? And this is a person that, that pays for private schools and stuff. Why can she save, uh, money to put her kid through college tax free, but not through primary education tax free. Is, is that something that's on your radar or something that's on the national landscape radar at all? And she's talking about 529 accounts I for higher I, education. I'm, I'm not 100% um, sure, but yeah, probably. So I, I think there, there are some bills floating around some state legislatures to uh, expand expand that kind of program to K-12 education. And actually, yes, there are some um, school choice programs which are not so I mentioned a tax credit scholarship earlier. The mm-hmm. way that the tax credit scholarship works is you donate money to something called a scholarship granting organization, and then you get a tax benefit for that. But then other families can go uh, apply for those scholarships. So it's kind of a roundabout way to fund um, scholarships for K-12 education. Mm-hmm. What she's talking about more is something called a tax deduction uh, school choice kind of mechanism where yeah. if you pay for private school tuition and fees for your kid, you can get a tax write off for doing that. And right. there are some per- states that have those types of benefits already. Not They, they differ in their well, size. Well, she lives in benefit. California, so I doubt they have anything that would give the parent any kind of right whatsoever out there. I don't I mean, think there is one. I, yeah, no. I don't. California does not have any private school choice programs or tax credit deductions from what I remember off the top of my head, but they do have something interesting when it comes to home home based education or homeschooling, they have something like two to three thousand dollars if you homeschool your kid. As long as you enroll in a virtual charter school, you can use two to three thousand dollars from the state to pay for homeschooling expenses. Hmm. That's something that's in California, but not in most states. So if you're in California, the listener, I would recommend go if you just Googled. California homeschool benefit three thousand dollars virtual school or something mm. you'll you'll find articles about it uh, if if that's something that would interest us interest anybody uh, from California cool good good Intel all right great uh, so before we get out of here tell everybody uh, where they can find you how they can follow your work and how they can get involved in their local communities to make sure they've got a say in their children's education as well yeah, totally. You can follow me on Twitter. It's just my last name, first name, at DeAngelis Corey. You can also join us in the fight for education freedom by going to educationfreedompledge.com. Or for short, you can just go to edfreedompledge.com. Great. And uh, we appreciate you coming out today. This is good information. Uh, people are pissed off. Um, you know what I mean? They're willing, people are, by and large, are willing to accept a lot of bullshit 
to make their lives more efficient and convenient. But when you start fucking with people's kids, that's when people start to get really upset. And I'm glad that that anger is finally turning into something positive for the kids. Um, we appreciate you coming out today. Uh, we'll have you back on sometime in the future to update everybody and all your work. We appreciate it. Uh, uh, and thanks for coming, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And, uh, for the rest of you guys, we'll see you in hell. 